Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Wendy Zomner, to our show today. Wendy is the co-founder of the legendary beauty brand, Urban Decay, and most recently the co-founder of Cali Ray, her latest beauty and wellness brand. When Wendy co-founded Urban Decay in 1996, there was no social media and Sephora was still too years away from entering the U.S. market. She was a pioneer who broke the beauty industry with its makeup as empowerment attitude, eventually elevating it to the number one brand spot at both Sephora and Ulta for years running, and is still one of the most successful beauty brands to date. After selling the brand to L'Oreal in 2012 and spending her time leading the company there, Wendy eventually left and launched Cali Ray, which is a California-inspired brand focused on clean formulas, wellness, and sustainability. In this week's episode, we talked to Wendy about her life before entrepreneurship and how she transitioned from her marketing career and the exact steps she took to launch Urban Decay, and also how she met her co-founder, Sandy Lerner, who is also the co-founder of Cisco Systems and is one of the OG women entrepreneurs out there. Wendy also reflects on the early, less glamorous days of Urban Decay, her resourcefulness, and how the brand became such a success. We also talk about her new brand, Cali Ray, and the differences in starting a brand today compared to when Urban Decay launched and the biggest surprisings and learning so far. Wendy shares her advice on why you need more than just passion to build a successful business, the biggest skills that entrepreneurs need for any brand, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, you're an icon, a legend, an OG entrepreneur. I really admire you, everything that you've built with Urban Decay and what you're building now. So it's a lot we're going to have to try to put in an hour, but I think it's going to be a fun one. So Let's jump into it. I'd actually love to start with something you mentioned in an interview a few years ago, where you said that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. I think the first time I heard this, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in my life. I was in my early 20s, and I think I heard Oprah mention it, and it really hit me because it's so true. So tell me more about how this quote really resonates in your life. It really became apparent when I started my first job out of college, which was not an entrepreneurship job. I was working at a big ad agency in Chicago and I had kind of decided, and you guys, I'm pretty old, so this goes far, but everyone's going to be like, what? <laughs> um, but I, I had like made myself really adept at using a Mac, using an Apple. And this was before they were ubiquitous. And it turned out to be like a really sort of career defining opportunity for me to be able to provide emergency support for a C-suite executive. And that was like my preparation and my luck was being like the assistant to the person that was like helping him put this big presentation together and then like having the weekend and being like, there's no one around, there's no support. And I was like, I can handle this. Yeah. And I know that sounds like a tiny little thing, but that's the, just one little example is my first real moment when I realized like, Hey, if I'm ready for these instances, they will pop up mm. and you will be able to jump on them. And the same thing happened with urban decay. I really immersed myself into marketing. I was really like focused on accounts that dealt with popular culture. And when the opportunity popped arose to, you know, dive into makeup, which is something number one, I loved. So my preparation was there because I had like always been a makeup junkie. Yeah. Um, and also from a popular culture standpoint to really redefine makeup in a new space and with a new market of people, like it just was the right time and the right moment. And I was able to jump on that. Oh, I love that. And we'll dig into all those details, but I think it's helpful because sometimes you might be lost about what the next step is, but 
it always kind of works its way out if you just put one foot, you know, after the other and really just kind of double down on what's in front of you. And your life journey has been evidence of that as well as mine. But I want to start from the very, very beginning. I know you grew up in Texas and I laughed because in another interview, you mentioned that in Texas, beauty is kind of in the drinking water. But what I found so interesting about your childhood is that your mom was really strict and she really didn't allow you to look to outside media like magazines and things like that. So I'm curious, what was your relationship with beauty and makeup at the time? Well, I think it's kind of interesting because she didn't, she didn't let me subscribe to 17 magazine, which everyone's like, how harmful can that be? But she was really strict about media and didn't want me exposed to too much. And I remember we went over to a friend's, uh, friend of theirs house and they had teenage daughters who were a little older than me and they had their 17 magazines sitting around and there wasn't much my mom could do and yeah. I remember opening it up and just like my eyes got big like oh my god there's this whole world it really spoke to me and I don't know if that was because I was denied and so it was like this aha moment so maybe I should thank my mom yeah. for <laughs> that lack of exposure and interestingly the first model I saw in 17 I was like oh my god she's so beautiful it was Whitney Houston as a no teenager way. how crazy yeah. is that right wow and Phoebe Cates who went on to be in fast times at Ridgemont High they were like big 17 models back in the day so I I just felt like I that really spoke to me and from then on I would like get magazines and I would tear out the pictures and put them on my bathroom mirror and I would try to recreate the makeup look that the model was wearing. Wow. And like back then that like wasn't so common. I feel like for you to like really self-express and to wear your makeup, like nowadays you see a lot of younger women and teens doing that, but like that wasn't normal back then, right? It wasn't normal. And also it wasn't normal because I was like a really, like I was an academic nerd. Sure. So I was like the, you know, like student of the month and like yeah. all this, like kind of, was kind of a dork. And, um, but then I love to wear makeup. And I remember I got in trouble for wearing too much makeup in Texas. It's kind of hard. Yeah. Um, so I got sent home from school and yeah, I was just a full makeup junkie right from the beginning. If I could have been making YouTube videos back in the sure. 80s, I would have been. Yeah. And you know, I'm curious because you said you, you know, you got pushed out of school because of wearing too much makeup. And I know you also had another incident at church where the your right. priest was like, what are you like? This is too much. So how did that not impact your own self-expression? You know, you like, I would think maybe at the time you might think that it might be bad, like your school saying this, your church, but you still kind of tapped into your own uniqueness, which I appreciate, but how did that not stop you? Well, I think, you know, you're, you know, you're a good person. Yeah. What, what does my makeup have to do with me? Like, I guess, what does that have to do with the like grades I'm getting, the way I'm behaving? That's uh -huh. just my form of self-expression. And I think the same thing at church that that priest was saying things like you're hiding behind a mask of makeup. And I have to say, I was a full on junior feminist before I knew what that even was, mm -hmm. because I remember like, you know, my mom would bring me to church every Sunday and we went to a Catholic church and there were altar servers. And I remember thinking, I want to do that. I want to be in the front of the room. I want to like carry the candle. Like I want to be that person. And they were like, oh no, you can't. Cause you're a girl. Huh. And I was like, really? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And so I feel like I had this whole skepticism about men telling me what to do because of that, because it just didn't make sense to me. Like oh. didn't make sense. So when that priest was like, Hey, you're hiding behind your mask of makeup. I completely dismissed him as just being a clueless ding dong. I love that. It's yeah. so fascinating because obviously fast forward to Urban Decay, like you guys were all about supporting women, creating this awareness very early. So it's cool to see how your personality that you had when you were younger kind of manifested later in life. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, met my dream person through Urban Decay, Gloria Steinem, my hero. But I also want to say with Urban, one of the things we did at the beginning, yes, we did. We were all about being great feminists, but we were also about supporting men wearing makeup from the beginning. You know, I, I actually met the, the guy guys from um good weird the okay. other day at a dinner and I just felt like oh my god full circle like I was so happy to see their like point of view on makeup that's huh. genderless mm -hmm. and I thought it was really really cool and it was one of the things we were trying to do with urban at the beginning like nail polish that guys would want to wear and you know just making it for everybody and so I feel like their whole thing is just an offshoot of what we started at urban like yes. I feel like that's possible because of the the seeds we planted which I just made me so happy when I see things come out of it yeah and how did that resonate because obviously now you see men wearing makeup a lot of makeup brands are including men in their ads and everything but did that resonate with 
men at the time in the audience or how was it portrayed? I think people resonated. I don't think a lot of guys were doing it. I was really inspired because I had this boyfriend who was a kind of a dude and he would always still, I had this little drugstore concealer that was in a black case. Yeah. And he would steal it all the time. How and funny. I was just like, hmm, I think guys should and could wear makeup. Like, yeah. Um, but we would do these like trade shows because we launched Urban before there was even Sephora, right? So yeah. we were like shopping our stuff to little boutiques all over the country. And I remember we'd go to these trade shows and there'd be Teamsters and I could get Teamsters to line up and get their nails painted. I like there yeah. was something there at some groundswell that was about to happen. So it wasn't going to be like it is. I mean, it wasn't what it is now. Yeah. But it was the start of it. Totally. And you guys are so early on just so many different aspects, but kind of zooming back a little bit, you know, obviously people look at you and they know your life at Urban Decay, but your life before that was very different. I kind of want to hear, you mentioned a little bit in the beginning, you know, you were working at a marketing agency. When was the turning point for you where you realized, you know what, like this isn't for me. I want to do something different. What, what really sparked you to think about that? My dad worked for a big defense contractor. And I always knew he wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like he would talk about like wanting to open a racquetball club and he never did it. And I know it's because he was mm. a responsible dad, right? He had three kids and he had like salary and he was a provider, which was great. But I always mm. felt like he wanted to do that and he never did. And it seemed sad to me that he never got to go pursue his dream. And when I, I loved working at an ad agency right after, right out of college, cause it felt like a continuation of college. I started with a class. They were really smart. I got great training, but at a certain point I started to feel a little itchy. Like, mm. is this all there is? Is this like fabric co covered workstation all there is? Yeah. And so I really wanted to go do something entrepreneurial. I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to do something different. And so um, I actually moved out to California with the concealer stealing boyfriend. <laughs> and um, he was from here, from Orange County okay. and um, moved out here and, you know, just thought this is kind of an opportunity. I worked for another agency, but even less fulfilling than the one I left in Chicago. And so I started kind of like sniffing around for opportunities. And I had a couple of things that I was going to jump into. And I got a call from the ex-fiance of one of my best friends from Chicago. This is like where that luck shows up, right? The luck just drops right on you. Like all these things are spinning. You've prepared yourself. You feel like something needs to happen. And then bing, there it is, right? Yep. So this guy calls me and he, his um, client is Sandy Lerner. She started Cisco Systems and now she's thinking about maybe she wants to start a makeup company. And yeah. he was talking to my friend and she's like, you got to call my friend, Wendy. She just moved to California. So I went to meet Sandy. We clicked yeah. and that was kind of the start of, of getting urban off the ground. I love that so much because I think, you know, talking about luck, I think you created the space and you stayed open. So when you saw opportunities, you're able to see it and you're able to just to like jump on it and take advantage of those situations. That's incredible. I mean, Sandy Lerner is such an OG, like incredible. She's the OG of OGs. <laughs> and here's what I have to say about Sandy is yeah. I am like a girl from Fort Worth, Texas, like never in a million years yes. would I have thought like, and people need to understand also, I just to go back one step in the nineties, mid nineties, the makeup landscape does not look like it did today. It's not the Technicolor dream it is today. It's not the indie beauty, like plethora of choice. There was no Sephora. It was big, older, established brands. It was department stores. It was counters. That was it. Mm -hmm. To think that you could break into that was a little bit of insanity, but I remember Sandy saying, I broke tack. Let's go break. Oh beauty. my gosh. And why I would have never had that. So I always feel like it's my responsibility to sure. pass that forward. Like the industry is really different now, but if anyone mm -hmm. ever wants advice or calls me, mm -hmm. I just feel like it's my role to help launch people into this business because someone did it for me. Oh my gosh. I have goosebumps. Like that opportunity, like you said, you're a girl from Texas, you didn't even know what your next step was. I'm sure you didn't even imagine urban decay would happen, but fate had it. You connected with Sandy, you, you know, you hit it off. I mean, that's really, really incredible. And you guys had like a pretty quick turnaround. Is it true that you met with her in September and the product started shipping in January? Like that seems really fast. I think so. Yes. Like somewhat of a quick turnaround. Somewhat yeah. of a quick turnaround. Yes. It yeah. was 
Um, it was just a really different business than it is now. You know, you didn't have these, these contract manufacturers didn't have a lot of indie brands calling them. And, you know, I have to say like my corporate experience, right. Yeah. I went in and I had a pitch mm. to the contract manufacturers, right. I was believable. I had a deck yeah. and I think a lot of people that come in and they're like makeup artists that wanted to start a makeup line. Like I'm not sure they had that. Right. So yeah. there's the preparation again, helping me get it off the ground. I got lucky. Well, I got really creative with how I contacted Nordstrom, but that, then again, I walked in with a pitch and, yeah. you know, they wrote me an order right then and there. So I just felt like they were my first purchase order. It was pretty exciting. So, Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. I love of it. I mean, and one thing, you know, a lot of people want to jump into entrepreneurship, like right after school. And I think to your point, sometimes it's nice to kind of have that like professional experience because you don't realize the skills that you learn to kind of execute when you go off and do your own thing. Like you said, you put together a pitch, you were a professional, like these things we kind of take for granted, but that's kind of like what you've learned in the first phase of your, your life. I cannot stress enough how important it is to have been an operator somewhere like at an agency, at a brand, somewhere have some experience. I mean, there are of course always the exceptions, right? Sure. But sure. have some experience on what it takes to take an idea from a piece of paper yeah. into reality, because a lot of people can brainstorm great ideas on paper and that is awesome. But yeah. it's about taking that idea and what it takes to get it from the mm -hmm. piece of paper onto a shelf and keep it going and yeah build a brand that is a completely different thing. It's a completely different animal yeah. that requires like really dirty hands. Like yeah. you got to get in there and like, just be in all the details in all the weeds. There's nothing easy about it. Um, we haven't really talked about my current brand, but honestly, yeah. UPS shows up yeah, and I have boxes it. inside. I have boxes all behind this camera I that I got to drop off. Yeah. I mean, if anyone thinks like, who's going to do it, you know, and that's how it is. Like people, it is not a could like a startup isn't a cushy corporate job where there's like yeah. a mail room and people to do things for you. <laughs> like you need to go be, go operate, go build something, even uh, if it's just for a year. Yes. Like learn what it takes. I really resonate with that. And I agree. And I think if you can do that on someone else's dime, or even if it's like a side thing you want to just kind of work through, but you're right, like creating ideas is fun and amazing, but the execution of that. And then once you launch, what does that look like to build a brand? Cause that's a whole other angle. And so many people, you know, we're a small brand. We only have two products we've launched for two and a half years. And we get a lot of people that are like, I want to work on like the new products. I'm like, I know that seems fun, but the real shit happens once you launch and you're like, all right, how can I get better? How do I build the brand? How do I build the community? Like, it's not always just that launch. It's like what you saying, like from start to finish and iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate. And how do you you keep the like okay you've got a great product like how do you keep that going how do you keep it rolling yeah. how do you make that a hero product that that's gonna that's what's gonna feed you right yeah you can do new launches all day long yeah. but you've got to like build a business that's yeah. anchored around some like key pillar products exactly oh especially I love this yeah especially in beauty no I'm sure I'm sure you know so going back to urban decay I love that we're talking about it's not glamorous and the ins and outs so tell us more about how you got into Nordstrom. And one thing I want to emphasize about you, and I'm sure even with Callie Ray, you know, outside of 
you being able to take something from start to finish, which is key for any entrepreneur. Also, what's key is being resourceful. I think like people are like, well, how do I do this? And I'm just like, you just figure it out. And I think that's a muscle that gets better. And you've definitely have shown that for your whole life. But tell me more about, you know, why being resourceful is important and how you kind of got into Nordstrom because I just love the story. Yeah. <laughs> the resourceful thing is so important when you're being an entrepreneur. And and I have to say, like when I started in beauty, there weren't a lot of resources. Now you've got like beauty independent, you've got glossy, you've got all of these great industry publications that are providing sort of ground level, like small entrepreneurship support, networking, things like that, that didn't exist. So I would say in terms of being resourceful, like that is so obvious, go take advantage of all that, like go subscribe to those things. Like that's a great spend. And dig into what the offerings are that those, you know, sort of media outlets have for you. But my resourcefulness was, you know, the same boyfriend that stole the concealer. Like I'm keep coming back to him. <laughs> um, he had a friend who was a swimsuit rep and yeah. surfer. Right. And he was coming down from San Luis Obispo to call in some buyers. And he's like, Hey, I just got done surfing, but I've got all these buyer calls. Can I come jump in your shower? And I was like, sure. Come on by. I was just working out of my house and trying to build little samples and doing this crazy urban Cape thing. No one knew what it was. And he's in the shower. And I realized he has got a Nordstrom buyer list in his bag. He has yeah. to, because things were printed then they weren't on your phone. Yeah. So while he was in the shower, I just opened his bag and there it was right on top. I pulled it out. I wrote down all the names of the swimsuit buyers. I put it back in his bag. And as soon as he left, I started calling and I was like, Hey, you know, he gave me, uh, your name and number and said, you'd give me the name of the swim of the makeup buyer. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, okay. And they all just like gave me the name and, and contact information. It was unbelievably easy. Yeah. So <laughs> then I started calling all of the cosmetic buyers and I've got the name of the person who was buying for the San Diego region. And she said, Hey, I'm, I'd love to see you. I'm leaving on vacation in two days. Can you come tomorrow? And I was like, okay. So I just stayed up all night, like making everything look perfect and drove down to San Diego. And I had my first order. So, oh my gosh, I love that. I mean, even that's, you know, even though it was so different back then in terms of how you were able to get in and how everything was done on paper and cold calling, I still think it's relevant to even our space now in terms of like putting yourself out there, reaching out to people on LinkedIn, like asking people for 15 minutes, like you'd be surprised how many people are willing, especially if you're authentic to give you five, 10 minutes of their time. And, right. you know, it's like this podcast kind of came out just, you know, as a passion project and I'm shocked it even is where it is and just came from me DMing women being like, Hey, I'm starting this thing. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I love it. Let me join. So you never know like the power of cold outreach. I love that story. Just like your hustle from the early days. Yeah. You got to hustle. And I think to your point too, there's so much opportunity, you know, this industry. And I, I said it at a women's word daily CEO conference when everyone was copying our naked palette and I probably could have said it better. I'd probably say it better now, but yeah. I was basically like, do your own version of this. Don't exactly copy mine because, you know, there is that whole thing, like all boats uh, lift on a high tide. Yeah. And I just, I think the more you reach out in the industry, the more you're going to find your people and you're going to support yeah. each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And even if you're competing with someone, you know, I, I met at a dinner the other night, I met Amy who started tower 28 and she asked me like, Hey, I was like, I can't believe you're asking me this. Um, she asked me for like a referral for like a key position. Like, do you know anyone? And I was like, why would I give that to you? And then I was like, I went home and I was like, of course I would give that to you. So sure. I actually referred a really great person to her because you know what, we just need to support and help each other. Like mm -hmm. that's how it is. Even if your first reaction is like sure not to but maybe go ahead and rethink because you know what goes around comes around and the industry is like all about embracing each other and showing your individuality and yeah. I think we can be an example for other industries about how to be like really supportive with each other and yeah. you know I think it's just a really cool thing. So build your network, make your friends yeah. and lean on each other. I actually think that's really powerful because sometimes we might get that initial reaction of like, oh no, like I don't want to share this person. And you know, that's natural, but I love how you kind of zoomed back out and we're like, no, like, let me help her. Like, why? Like, what's the fear around it? Because like you said, we all are supporting each other and it's like good energy abundance. And even for my business, we kind of were looking at the past two years. We're like, what has been the biggest pillar of our growth. And one of them outside of content was 
partnerships, which is AKA relationships. We help other women. And we're like, my gosh, we never would have thought, you know, people in our space and wellness and everything. So it just goes to, if you're able to support each other, you don't know how both your businesses can grow. Um, So I love that because I think we can all continue to do a better job, just supporting other people and kind of creating that network around us, especially as an entrepreneur, it's so tough. So for her to be able to reach out and ask you and, you know, you vice versa, if you ever needed anything, I'm sure it's just a good feeling like you're not alone and people are there to support you're not alone yeah you're not alone people want you to succeed and there's space for everyone in the business mm, I love that and you know you know talking about competition like you were so innovated with that palette other people are coming out how did that really make you feel like when they were copying kind of what you guys were creating product wise with the eyeshadows because that happened to anyone innovative right you're going to be the first to launch out in market and people are going to like inevitably come that's part of it but what did that kind of make you feel and how, you know, what advice do you have for women who might be going through that in their own kind of categories? Well, I think, and you should look at what works in the marketplace and say, is this relevant for my brand? And if it is, is there a place in my product portfolio to do my own version of that? It, does that make sense? Not a copy. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing. It's not like, I think there's one big corporation that calls it patterning and yeah. you can call it copying. Um, you can call it benchmarking, you can call it whatever you want. I think it's okay to look at what's out there and make it, but you got to really make it your own. And I mean, really make it your own. Yeah. So I think there's space for always for innovation to like try mm-hmm. new, you got to try new things, but I also don't think there's anything wrong with like, being part of a movement in an industry, like every makeup brand is probably going to have a mascara. So what's your point of view sure. on it? Right. Yeah. Um, so, cause that's a pretty ubiquitous product. It does one basic thing and there's a few different ways you'd go about it, but how are you going to make that your own? And what's the attitude going to be? And what's the packaging mm. going to look like? And I think you just don't copy anyone directly, I guess would be my point of view. And so with the naked palette, I knew like neutral palettes, we started a thing and that was great. And I knew that other brands would do that, but just don't put it in a row of 12 vertical pans and mm-hmm. call it naked, nude, nudie, something that implies no clothes, yeah. you know, like put your own spin on it. That's, that's the only thing I would say, um, to do. Cause everyone's going to come out with a concealer. Everyone's going to mm-hmm. have a point of view on a lip balm. So what's your point of view and how is it different for your brand and how is it relevant for your customer and how does it not look like everyone else's? Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of get like worried, oh, I can't go into the saturated market. I mean, obviously now there's so many more indie brands, like you even mentioned mascara, like so many incredible brands, but I love what you said in terms of like, what is your unique point of view? And I think like every specific person, you, for example, your values are probably very different from another, you know, another makeup brand. So I think it's like tapping into what's authentic to you. What's your point of view? What makes you different versus just straight up copying? Cause that really resonates. And I have a friend that in the wellness industry, and I know she did a very specific marketing campaign that another friend in another industry did that apparently really helped his business but it didn't help hers at all. And she's like, one thing I learned even from marketing was it's not like what's authentic to my community just cause that worked for his brand. It doesn't necessarily right. mean, so it just goes to show whether it's a product, a brand, a marketing effort, like really tap into what feels right to you and your brand and your community. So I love that you broke that up um, because, you know, competitiveness, that's always going to come up. People are always going to create similar products, but we're all different and unique, which I love. So one thing I'm, I know I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit is we've had a lot of women come on the podcast who've sold their businesses. And, you know, I hate to say, but a lot of them actually went through some tough times afterwards. You know, you kind of build this brand. It's like their baby. And one day it's gone and they're, they've been opening up about, they felt depressed. They didn't know their worth. Like it kind of put them in this interesting spiral, despite all the success that they were able to have. So I know you guys successfully sold to L'Oreal. Like how did that opportunity come about? And what was that, you know, feeling like for you? Were you excited? Were you ready for it at the time? I'd love to just kind of get a behind the scenes look at that. Yeah. I think from a growth standpoint, we were, I think top 10 makeup brand at that point on NPD. No one knew it. That's what was weird is the way it's reported until you have certain retailers, you don't show up. And then all of a sudden we were like top 10. Wow. And it just became really apparent. We were ready to grow outside the U S and that's really hard to do on your own. We had, um, 
a UK office. We had an office in France. And that was about like as an organization with 200 people, that was about all we wow. could do. Um, so we just knew we needed a partner. It was the right time. And and L'Oreal seemed like a, the right partner to take us global. And they were, mm. they were a great partner. Um, in terms of feeling depressed, it, the hardest thing for me was how my role changed from being like having my hands dirty and being that entrepreneur to them wanting to me to take on more of a founder role, like in a bigger organization, right? Where I would appear at things and go on podcasts and talk to the sales field, which I love doing, by the way, sure. that's one of my favorite things and sit in meetings and comment on other people's work on my brand. And it felt really inauthentic to me. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be in the mix, making products, yeah. like really like thinking about the customer and going into the stores. And so you really have to be prepared to like take that step up. And in, I think for some people, they can really embrace that. And for me, it was hard. What it didn't feel like was mm -hmm. everyone says like, oh, it was your baby. No, I have two human babies. Those are my babies. And I was really able to keep that very separate. I looked at it as, and I think this is a really healthy way to look at it. Cause I know a lot of people who worked for me, who, who had equity didn't, um, but they wrote me a check, right? I took a check. I took that check and I cashed it mm -hmm. and I support my family with that. And so you really have to look at it in a very sort of dispassionate way. Like you accepted the money and everyone, they still want your point of view, but it's not yours anymore. And I, I know that sounds like kind of cold hearted, but like, I tried to tell other people that had equity, like you took the money and you bought a house. Sure. Like, that's a good thing. Like, and so you shouldn't have your self-worth tied up in that. That's not where your value as a human is. Uh -huh. right is in this brand your value as a human is just inherent it's just because you are here and you're good and you like the people around you love you and like sure I think it's really important I know that sounds very woo-woo but it's really important to remember that stuff because the brand you've created an amazing thing like I created Urban Decay it's an amazing thing Cali Ray it's an amazing thing and it's you create these work families and they're really mm. important but it's not who you are the brand mm. is not who you are and it's not your baby. Actually, oh. you have a lot of invested in it, but it's not another person. So there are people and my biggest source of satisfaction are all of the jobs I created and wealth we created for people and ability to support their families and have fulfilling careers. That's really how I look at it. Not in this, like, oh, this brand, right? That's really powerful. Even if, you know, I've been having this conversation with a few of my other founder friends where, you know, none of us have sold our businesses. We're just in the thick of it. We're growing it. And that is still important for us at our level in terms of you build this brand and there's so much, especially in the early days, you give your like blood, sweat and tears to it. But having that dividing factor of it's not your self-worth and you have like a life outside of it, because it's so easy to just be in it, right? And like day in and day out. And if you have a bad day at work, like in your business, it could bring you down. And that's not healthy. When you were in the thick of building Urban Decay, did you have those healthy boundaries with your self-worth not being tied to your business? Or is that something you learned along the way? Yeah, I think it's something you learn, definitely. Because I think it was tied to it a lot at the beginning. But I'm also a big believer. Like I am, instead of using substances, I run, I lift weights. I like, I'm sort of a little exercise-y kind of person. So for me, I would just take a break and go for a run. I would, I take a break. I have a little gym next door. I go like throw some weights around. Like yeah. to me, that really, I think you have to find something that helps you self-regulate. That's not mm. a substance. And that maybe that's meditation. Maybe it's, you know what, you take 10 minutes, you go read a book. Maybe yours is throwing weight around like mine. Maybe it's walking your dog, whatever it is. I think yeah. it's really important that you find these like moments to like pressure, turn off the pressure, right? Like mm -hmm. release the valve and just remember that there's other things yeah. And then you can come back to it and you can be fresh and, and it doesn't take that long. You don't have to take that much time out of your day to do it. Mm -hmm. But no, I basically start every morning with some sort of workout or a dog walk on the beach or something where I move because sure. it just gets me in the right place because you will be giving your blood, sweat and tears, like you said, and you got to just, you got to get yourself in the right headspace for that.
It's however true. you do it. Yeah. And I think that is so powerful because especially, I mean, you were at Urban Decay for so long and it's like, what differentiates those founders who are in it for the long game and you need to prioritize your mental health? What is going to self-regulate you? Because it's such a grind and you can move so fast every day, but it's not sustainable. And it's like, you want to be happy during the process, like, you know, similar to your story, but I love that you kind of wake up, you have that routine, but it's like finding what really works for you. And like you said, sometimes it's just like an hour break. Sometimes I'll be like, I can't even think right now. And I'll just go for a walk. And I come back like a million dollars. Like it doesn't right. have to be. And you forget that sometimes, you know, you sometimes forget like these small little breaks can actually make a big difference. But I love that you mentioned that. Cause I don't think we talk about that enough. So let's now talk about everything you're up to today. I love okay. Callie Ray. I love the brand. I love the feel. Tell me more about, you know, the inspiration and why you kind of started this newer brand. I think we were talking about, you know, evolution and all of those things. So this is really the evolution of me. So, so Urban Decay was very inspired by like my days of living in an illegal loft building in Chicago, right? Had very <laughs> much that vibe. Like I really did live in 4,000 square feet of unpermitted space. Wow. It was crazy. We missed that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the, st the stories I could tell you about that would take a whole podcast, but <laughs> that place had a life of its own, but very much influenced by those days. And that very like, you know, the urban landscape and how, I mean, the whole idea behind urban decay was finding beauty in things you might not find traditionally beautiful, like a crumbling brick wall. Like it has a great story to tell, but it may not be like perfect and pretty on the surface, but it's really beautiful. And that's what urban was all about. Right. And so it. that was our mission was to really redefine beauty. And I think that's kind of cool as you have these mission driven companies. And for me, you know, I had always been really into wellness. Like I just told you all about, like I start my day with the workout. Well, I also, you know, at Urban, I built, I took all the parabens out of products before anybody else did and nobody cared, which was fine. I cared. Sure. Um, I tried to um, make all of our eyeshadow tins out of corn plastic before that was a thing, but it was like wow. too expensive to ship the resin overseas. So that didn't work, but I was always exploring sustainability. I planted a biodynamic garden. I built all the workstations out of non-off gassing materials. I love that. You know, I had my kids on the floor of my house with a midwife. Like I'm really kind of this like wellness weirdo yoga person. And I just decided like when it was my time for my second round at this, I was like, let's do something that's all about the things that are important to me. Mm -hmm. And I was wearing, you know, like I'm older, like I can't get away with like a giant face of crazy purple eyeshadow anymore. Like I just was, it didn't feel like me anymore. And I wanted something fast and easy, but I still love makeup and I still wanted to go through the ritual, yeah. but I wanted it to be as paraben free and clean as all of those products I had created at Urban. So clean was sort of like table stakes, which I think it kind of is today anyway. I don't think I was doing anything innovative with that, but I really wanted to take it a notch up with sustainability. And then I wanted to create a clean brand that had like some attitude and fun, because I think there's a lot of clean brands out there that are really beautiful, but a lot of them aren't like, it still has kind of that same edge that urban has, but in a more sunshiny, bright way. And part of that was inspired because when I was touring the world, sort of opening markets for urban, people would always ask me like, do you surf? Do you do yoga? Do you, do you make everything out of kale? Like do you eat a lot of kale? And I'm like, yes, to all of those things, yeah. but they seemed really fascinated by sort of the freedom, the California dreaming, the wellness culture that happens out here on the West coast. And so I felt like there was a real opportunity to intersect beauty with wellness and also to add a really important, the, as a mission, the sustainability piece. Cause I always think a brand should have a mission. Yep. And I was out in you know, the middle of nowhere surfing with my family. I took a little break. I paddled over to this uninhabited island to just like rest on the beach. And I looked around me and the island was covered in plastic trash. And it was the first time it really hit home how much like in the middle of nowhere, there's plastic water bottles everywhere. Mm. So I thought, oh gosh, how many naked pallets are in landfills? You know, like what have I done here? And so it was a little bit of a moment of reckoning. And I thought, if I want to be in this industry, I have to start to do it in a better way. So the mission on the packaging is really to be as sustainable as we can be. Like we just launched our big swell in a glass vial instead of a plastic vial. Like we really trying to push the envelope with sustainability and just try a lot of different things mm -hmm. um, and then keep it clean and keep it all about wellness. So like we just, we have a, a beauty drink 
that we launched in concert with Thorn. I love uh, it. Yeah. So Thorn is really great high-end supplements. Mm -hmm. And I was really fortunate enough to tap into this new technology they have. It's like a printed disc and you just drop it into your, your drink, any kind yeah. of drink you want. And, um, it's got NR in it. It's got biotin. It's got green tea phytosome. It's got all this stuff to make your skin glowy and help your cell turnover. And, um, and this little tiny mini fruit roll up super wafer thin. Oh. It has the same potency as a gummy. That's the size of a baseball. So if you wanted to get the same potency out of a gummy, you'd have to like eat a baseball size gummy, which maybe some people would. <laughs> Too. But, um, but anyway, so I was really loved working with them on this wellness piece. Cause yeah. I really want this to be about the intersection of wellness and beauty with a whole sustainability anchor along mm -hmm. with, I love it. I mean, you're talking my language. I love Thorn, like reputable company. And I I'm, I'm excited to check this out, you know, but I love, oh, I'll send you some. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. I love all this stuff. No, but it's amazing. And, you know, I know we're coming up on time soon, but I'm curious what has been the most surprising or difficult thing from launching this brand relative to Urban Decay? Because clearly the, the landscape is different. The market's different. I'm curious from your perspective, like what's been the biggest and toughest thing you've kind of had to navigate? So I think for perspective, let's just set the table first. For perspective, when I launched at Sephora with Urban, I had about 35 SKUs and they said to me, here's your three bay gondola. And I said, well, I don't have enough products to fill that. And they said, We'll just space them out a lot. No way. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my God. This Can is you right imagine? when it came to the US, right? Like Sephora right. wasn't as, yeah, that's. Good. I think it was 97 or 98, somewhere in there. Yeah. So um, now today I have one shelf on the clean end cap and I feel so lucky to have that. And I have the same number of products in that tiny little space. So that is the level that you're dealing with the level of sophistication in terms of the marketing, digital. So I would say back in the day, the barriers to entry were the manufacturing mm -hmm. and finding distribution. Today, the barriers to entry are the marketing and the competitive landscape and how digital is such a big part of it. And social media, like, how do you cut through the clutter? Yeah. So before it was like, how do you even get the stuff made? And now it's like, how do you get through the noise? Mm. So it's a very different business problem to solve. Mm -hmm. I'm, I actually really love it because yeah. I feel like it, I'm learning so much new stuff, which I feel like to be curious and to want to learn is really great. And it also, I love surrounding myself with people that have lots of energy and knowledge and I'm like learning from them and they're learning from me. And it's just this great sort of back and forth, sort of like our conversation today. Yeah. And, um, I feel like this new problem allows me to do that because in terms of getting the stuff made, like, yeah, like, easy, I got this. baby games, right. I got this. I've been doing that forever. So I think this new challenge is really exciting and cool. And it's like, how do we really break through a lot of noise that's in the beauty space? Yeah. And what I just want to reflect back on what you said, which I love is, and really this is like a core quality of an incredible entrepreneur is your willingness to be curious and always learn about what's different. Right. Cause I think that is so important. Like even once you got the digital landscape down, it's consistently changing. And if you don't feel comfortable learning and growing with it, it's going to be just so tough for you to even like be a leader and, and to build something in it. So I love that you are welcoming change because and also I know in another interview, you mentioned, you know, you love hiring people smarter than you. Like that's oh, yeah. incredible, right? <laughs> that is the best feel. If you want to sleep at night as an entrepreneur, okay. hire the smartest people you can find. Cause you'll, they'll, you'll sleep at night. Like you said, like, it's good that you don't have an ego. And it's like, how do you just create the right team around you? People that know more than you to kind of take the brand to the next level. So I, I love that. I have a question, you know, looking back at the past few decades, if you had to learn one skill, whether it's like an emotional skill, a business skill, or a personal skill. What would that skill be if you were to reflect kind of back on your life from maybe the early days of urban decay? I do think being as an entrepreneur, having a high EQ is really important because you are building a family. You are asking people to go above and beyond like, yes, you are paying them market, but you're also asking them like they could go get that salary somewhere else and they could close their computer at five o'clock, be done and go home and do whatever it is they want to do. But you're asking them to probably do a lot more than that. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think being able to have that EQ and be able to like, you know, set boundaries when you need to set them and, and the right amount of like love and support for people. And just, it's always so interesting in a small company. Cause you can't have those same HR policies that you have in a big company. Yeah. It's more intimate than that, but it has to also be work. So it's this very fine line between where do you cross? It's a definite gray area. So I think being yeah. really adept and skilled at that is huge for an entrepreneur. That resonates a lot. And I think there's nothing more than like being in the thick of it and learning as you go. Cause I'm like, I thought my EQ was pretty good, but you know, as you hire a team, you're just learning different ways of business grows, you know? So it's, I love, I just love your answer to that. And, you know, one last thing I'd love to kind of end on, you know, there's so many women who are creatives who listen, listen to this podcast, or even a lot of entrepreneurs who kind of feel like putting an idea out there can be intimidating or they yeah. feel scared to kind of put it out there. And especially as a creative, cause you're literally literally putting something new out in the world. What would you Well, you're putting a little, you're taking a little piece of your soul and literally out there for people to just go, that's dumb. That's like, it's a little bit of you and it's hard. I get it. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. It's literally you that you're putting out there. Like what advice would you give these women who might have this idea, but feel a little nervous or scared to kind of put that creative thing that they've birthed out there in the world? Well, my advice to creative entrepreneurs is to find yourself a good operator partner. That would be the first thing above and beyond putting your idea out there. Like Mm -hmm. I understand what you're asking, but I would say make sure it, because I give this, I tell people this all the time. Beauty is a really interesting industry. And I think it's like a lot of industries, like there's the creative side of things and that is great. But unless you operate efficiently and drive sales, yeah. You won't have a creative business to run. Like, right? It's a little it's a chicken and egg thing. And I as a creative person thought when I started Urban like, well, I'm just going to make this and people are just going to want it cuz it's great, right? Yeah. Not so much. No. Yeah. So you need a great person that understands driving sales, who understands money. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe that's you can find that in one person maybe you have to find it in two people and I'm not saying they have to be your like 50-50 partner I'm just saying you need to pull that skill or or even full time you just need to pull that skill onto your team and you need to listen to those people when they tell you like you don't have enough money for that mm-hmm. like and maybe you evaluate it and you're like well I think this is going to be such a big deal I think it won't matter and you take that risk sure. in terms of putting your idea out there I would encourage you to really like really flesh it out on paper. Like, yes, you may have this great idea, but like start to try to poke holes in it or ask someone else to poke holes Mm. in it and then address all of those issues and make sure your idea still hangs together. Because like we started this with, there's a lot of things you can put down on paper and they sound great, but until you execute against them, maybe not so great. Mm -hmm. I love that. And just going back to your first point, I know You mentioned another interview, like passion can only take you so far. And yes, that's important, but you need to know the business side of things. And whether that's bringing in someone like, I love that because I think, you know, partnering up with the right people, like even in my business, my sister-in-law is my co-founder. She's the health expert where we have a wellness brand and I'm like the operations finance person. And like, even having that unison is just so nice, but you know, some people don't even think through that a little bit, but I love that that's been like a superpower and you've kind of surrounded yourself with people. So I love that. I got. I got so lucky this time around, you know, when I was starting urban, I was a single person and I married the CFO of another startup, a men's surfwear or not men's men's and women's surfing line called Volcom. And so he's now like my partner in crime. He's running, you know, he runs that business. He's that business. He's that guy. Yes. Yes. Or gal that you are looking for. So he's just like, oh no, you can't do that. I was going to say another way. When he tells you, you can't do that. You listen to him. I do listen to him because he's looking, he's looking out for our best interests. And sometimes we definitely have intense dinner table conversations over it. Like it does not leave our house, you know, it's nonstop here, but it's great because our kids see us working through these problems together and they participate in it. I think it's been the greatest education for my children to like, listen to this business conversation and see us you know, in a loving way, work through these things. So it's pretty cool. actually. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Our household, my husband's an entrepreneur. So we're always talking about like 
business. We don't have kids yet, but I feel like they'll be in the mix of it because it's just part of our life. It's actually, this reminds me, someone on our team was basically like wanting to get more involved in the strategic decisions of like the business. We're so small. And then we were just sharing that like, we do it, like me and our co-founder, we're talking on text message at like 10 p.m. at night. Like, it's kind of like this lifestyle of, right? you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying it's it correctly. Yeah. yeah, it's like a lifestyle. So it's like, we're not sitting down and having these life-changing strategic board meeting meetings. It's like a Saturday, I come up with an idea and we just quickly talk about it. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but yes, it's like a lifestyle kind of. No, you're saying it correctly. And I think it leads into some other advice I would give, which is, you know, if you're a founder, you're an entrepreneur, you have to remember, like you'll have, you may have these great employees, but they're not always, some of them are, but they're not always at this operate at the same frequency you operate at. And so like, I will spontaneously text things as they come into my head because it is just firing and it doesn't stop. Like <laughs> the thoughts don't stop. So I'll text people, but I have to preface a lot of my texts, like does not require a reply. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say not urgent, not, not urgent. urgent. <laughs> Address this on Monday. Sorry. It's a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I just, it's in my head. So I do end up not apologizing, but sort of like sure. caveating a lot of this, like insanity that does come along with being this kind of person. And so I just think if you start to grow your organization and your vendor base and all of those things, just remember like not everyone operates on that same frequency. And so yeah. just don't expect it and give, give them an easy out and also set yourself up to not look like a crazy person. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's true. And like, you know, they, and the expectations shouldn't be there. Cause they're not owners. I mean, it depends on like who you're talking right. to. Right. So, cause I remember I worked at a startup and the founder would tell me like, think about it. Like all the time, think about the business, all the single, like I, now that I have my own business, I'm like, I wasn't operating at that level, like him, where he's thinking and dreaming about the business. And, you know, I was doing, I was working all the time, but that level is very different until you kind of have your own business and you realize, but yeah, like having those expectations for your employees are kind of tough if they don't own, you know, a part of the business or anything. Right. <laughs> so the good reminder, because we forget a sometimes. Really good reminder. Yeah. yeah. You're like, you're not working on the weekend? What? No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I'm excited. Well, tell me more about what's next for Calgary. I know you kind of mentioned some of your newest products, which we'll definitely share in the show notes, but what are you excited about? Are there a few initiatives or products that you can kind of share? Well, we just launched our holiday sets. Amazing. They are such a great value. I love that we, and we, stock them full of like our pillar products, our best sellers, the like must haves, they work on everyone. So we're really excited about these and they just launched at Sephora and Amazing. you can go pick them up. So those are great. And then we have a bunch of new, really cool launches for next year. Oh, I cannot wait. I'm sure it's going to be super innovative and you know, so appreciate you, Wendy, for joining us. I know we packed a lot in this hour. We couldn't go into the weeds, but maybe we'll do a part two in the future. But I would love, love to do a part two with you. You're the easiest person to talk to. It's like, <laughs> we'll get into like more of the, I appreciate that. We'll get into more of the weeds of the business. because I feel like you probably have even just so much more wisdom, but this was amazing. I'm cheering you on. I'm so just inspired by everything you've built, but thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And maybe next time you should come and we'll record at the Cali Ray house. Yes. I would love that. Fun. It's right at the beach, little shack, little surf shack. Oh, I'll take you up on that. That will be fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.